That's my terrible rendition of the music. Hey all, what's up? It's your friend Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. That's right, Chase Jarvis Live show here on Creative Live. I love this day. And because I get to record my day. Today's Monday, and you're going to get this. It drops on when I don't know when you're going to get this, but it drops on Wednesday. So I, that's one of the reasons of many that I love Mondays. Um, but that being said, we have a really badass show in store for you today. My guest is Gregory Heisler. If you are a photographer, you fancy yourself as one, and you know much about photography, you will definitely know Gregory's name. If you're not a photographer, fear not. This is still very, very much for you. And I would say whether you think you know his work or not, you do because he is renowned for shooting more than 70, that's right, seven zero cover portraits for Time Magazine. All those like person of the year and this, that, that's him, legend. So, and not only do you know him or his work and whether you are or are not a photographer, this episode is loaded with the good stuff because you've heard me preach before how being different, not just better is the key to success, that finding your own voice is the most important thing that you can do on your journey outside of your own health and wellness. Finding your voice. What do you want to say? How do you want to say it? Where do you want to say it? And what is the good stuff? So this is where Gregory Heisler is an absolute master. What you're going to get from today's episode is his version of how to tap into the thing that you're supposed to be doing. What makes your story unique? And then how do you get that story out of you? If you follow the career of so many people, you have tapped into what it is that you see in other people's work that you're like, that's their voice. It's not just their execution. You don't like a skateboarder just because they have this great ability to do a, a specific kind of kickflip. You like how they express themselves. And that's what you're going to learn in this episode today. So before we get into it, I'm just going to share a quick word from our sponsor, and then we're going to get right back to the show. But first, Creative Live wants to say something. Oh, and one other thing before we get into that sponsor message, if you want to watch this video, then you just go on creativelive.com and search Gregory Heisler. That's H-E-I-S-L-E-R. And then you can watch the video of this too. It's it's quite entertaining. Uh, he does point to some art. And so if you're, if you're just listening, you won't get the benefit of being able to see that. But I was very cognizant that the overwhelming value was, it was still critical to have this on the podcast. So just one other note there. And let's go back to here. A little message from Creative Live before we get into the show. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best 
of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits, and today Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Well, welcome everybody. Welcome to our studio audience and our global extended, expanded audience. I'm really happy to be here. This is pretty fancy. Anything this is fancy? It's pretty. I didn't know what to expect here, but it's like it's, I, we're actually going to kill it. It's going to be my new studio. It's my new studio here. We're just going to do this shoot here. You guys are leaving. Sorry. Take the cameras. Well, you can leave the cameras. That's what. Leave the cameras. We'll stay. Okay. So what we're going to be talking about tonight is uh, embracing your uniqueness, right? Or at least starting, you can fondle your uniqueness. You can start with that and work your way up to a full embrace. Just kind of, you can tickle your uniqueness and then you kind of work your way up as you get more and more familiar with it. Um, it's actually kind of at the heart of everything that we're doing. Uh, I'm now a, uh, as you said, a, profess a professorial person. And uh, the people who I professor to, all these students, kind of the goal really, honestly and truly, is allowing them to facilitating them, they're revealing their own uniqueness, right? That to me is the most important thing I can do as a teacher because y'all already got your uniqueness. It's like DNA built in, right? You don't have to go hunting for it. You don't have to look around. You're not gonna find it on the internet. No tutorial is gonna give it to you, except this one. But no tutorial is gonna give it to you, but really, but what you really wanna do is kind of reveal that I wrote down something really good before. I just want to... Oh, yeah, reveal your uniqueness. That's I just want to make sure I got it right. That's good. So, um, <laughs> but seriously, that's the most important thing you can do because these days, obviously, we're living in a very competitive... I'm curious, how many people here are either are or are thinking about or are aspiring to be or think it would be a really fun idea to be working as a... supporting yourself as a photographer, professional photographer? Almost everybody. That's way too many. <laughs> That's good. That's, that's way too many photographers. We need more photographers. No, we don't need more photographers. But that's good. Um, but seriously, the important thing is, that, so it's really competitive out there, right? It's like everybody's a photographer. There's no question about that. And in a way, it's a wonderful thing because everybody's got, everybody's got a phone, so everybody's a photographer. But we're kind of living in a great time because people are now visually really pretty literate. Right? Like, most people are pretty okay with their phones. They actually take some pretty good pictures. And photography is now the universal language, right? Well, not about the universe, the global language. I don't know what, what they're doing on Pluto, but 
It's kind of the language now. Like it really, in a sense, I think has really superseded words as the international language. It's immediate, everybody gets it, everybody understands it. People can misunderstand it, that's always dangerous, but the fact is that's how people communicate. So it's very powerful and it's very immediate. So with all these people taking pictures, right, you think, wow, that's an awful lot of photographers out there. That's a lot to have to deal with. A lot of people to compete with except that, we, honestly and truly, this is like in kindergarten, like we're all special, like snowflakes, no two, no two of us are the same. We all have our own little specialness, except that we do, right? We actually do have that. That's like the one thing we do have. We ain't got much, but we do have that. We have our uniqueness. And in a world that's wildly competitive, the one thing you can offer the world is you. That's the one thing you got. Ain't nobody else got that but you, right? And the most important thing you can do, the kind of the most important service you can provide the world and yourself is to actually acknowledge, reveal, discover, develop that uniqueness, right? That's the most important thing you can do. And that is literally the only job security you can have as a photographer, is being unique. Because if you are unique, then there ain't nobody else competing with you, right? Like nobody's like the second best version of you because there isn't one. Nobody can be the cheaper version of you because there isn't one. You know, the, the good news is if you're unique, there's nobody like you. The bad news is if nobody likes what you do, you're a little out of luck. But, but yeah, it's nothing I can say about that. That's, that's, that's next week's lecture. But seriously, like, that's, that's a thing that's great, though, is that if, if you're doing what really comes naturally to you, that's kind, of, that's kind of the one thing that'll work really well for you, right? It really does. And nobody else can really do that the same way. So if you can actually uh, develop that, nurture it, kind of latch onto it, and have some confidence in it, that will serve you really well. When I was first, uh, when I was first starting out, it was kind of before the wheel, but after fire. It was a long, long time back there. <laughs> was um, a friend of mine. I was an assistant in New York. We won't get into this too much, but I went to New York. I grew up in Chicago. Went to New York to become a photo assistant and work for a great photographer named Arnold Newman, one of the seminal portrait photographers, right? And uh, I did that, and then I assisted some other photographers, and then went off on my own. And I wasn't a great assistant, really. I was a little bit of an eye roller, that kind of thing, like, oh, Greg, could you do blah, blah, blah? And it's like, <sighs> that kind of thing. So it wasn't great. I was really desperate to be shooting. I wanted to be taking pictures. So uh, I, I kind of wasn't sure how you get started. This would have been like 1974, five, around there. And Life Magazine didn't exist at that time. It had folded, I think, at 72, the weekly. And it was before it kind of re-upped again in, uh, I think it was 77, 78, around there, I think. And um, a friend of mine said, oh, there's a photographer. He's one of the old Life photographers. He's a really good soul. You should show him your work. See what he says, right? So his name's John Lowengard. And he ended up being, he's one of the great Life photographers from the old magazine. And he ended up being the picture editor of Life Magazine when it came back to life. And so I phoned him up, and you can do that, and went to his office in the Time and Life. Just walking into the Time and Life building was like, oh my god, it's the Time and Life building. You know, it's like it's kind of, for me, sacred ground. So I went to the Time and Life building and saw him. And I showed him my portfolio, which wasn't, like, great, right? I mean, it, it was the best I had. I thought it was OK. But it wasn't, I don't think you would have looked at it and say, that guy's got talent. It's like, it was, you know, it's a beginner's portfolio. But I showed him my stuff, and I kind of, he flipped through it, kind of very 
respectfully and nicely. And I asked him, like, you know, what, what do you think? You know, because at that point, there was a thing out called, it was, um, it was called the Black Book, the Creative Black Book. It was like a source book for photographers, how you'd identify other for the people in advertising agencies or magazines could flip through and look at commercial photographers' work. And I said, like, should I do work that I see, like I see there? Should I do stuff like I see in a magazine? And really, my main question was, which I didn't realize, like, sort of, who should I be like? Kind of really what it was. You know, who, who do you think I should be like? What should I do? And he was a really thoughtful guy, and he was quiet for a minute. He said, well, he said, uh, what I think you should really do is you should uh, shoot what you can't help but shoot. And I was like, say what? He said, yeah, shoot what you can't help but shoot. And I wish I'd listened to this more honestly and paid more heed to it at the time. And he said, yeah, because if you shoot what you can't help but shoot, it'll be easy because you can't help but shoot it anyway, right? And since you can't help but shoot it, it'll be your own, it'll be the best work you do because it's what comes naturally to you, right? And uh, what's great is because it's your best work, people will respond to it. And what they'll hire you to do is they'll ask you to shoot more of what you can't help but shoot. And since you can't help but shoot it anyway, you won't, have to, you won't second guess them. It'll come really easily to you and you'll do more of that, right? And that kind of cycle will repeat itself. Well, they'll hire you to do more of what you can't help but shoot. And since you couldn't help but shoot it, it was really good. And more people saw that and they hired you to do it again. And he said, what happens is you will look back in hindsight and find out who you've been, right? You'll actually notice that you will have developed a style. Like that's the big, everybody wants to know like, what's, your st what's my style? Everybody wants to develop a style. And his thing was, you don't actually, you don't aim to a style. It's something you see in hindsight, that you seem to have had a style. You seem to have developed a style, right? You can't sort of aim at it. And that was like incredibly wise advice. Again, I was a dope. I didn't really acknowledge that. didn't understand what he was saying. But it really was crystal clear. You know, it really was crystal clear. And now, certainly, I can vouch for that as being unbelievably um, valuable. And the good thing now is that uh, this sort of uniqueness that you have, like, you've already got it. It's already there. You know, you don't have to go hunting for it. You don't have to mail order it. You don't buy it from B&H online. Like, it's, it's already, like, you have it. It's already there. So you don't have to really worry about that. And in a sense, it's all you have, right? Like, that, that is the thing you offer. You've already got it. And the important thing to do is you have to be able to kind of trust it and what's happening now in the world, which I think is a great thing, is uh, back in the day, from my experience, everything I'm telling you is from my experience. I could be wrong about everything. This could, all could be a lie and you're wasting your time. Hopefully it's not. But in my experience, actually, is back in the day, people often hired photographers based on competency. Like, can you do this? Can we trust you with this? Have you done one of these before? Have you shot overseas? Are you good with kids? Have you shot cars? Like, it's sort of... Can we trust you? Are you qualified? Are you competent to do this thing? You won't screw it up, right? And that's always still a thing. I think more now, though, which is, I think, a wonderful thing, is people are really hiring based on vision. They want to jump onto your train. You know, if they, if they get a sense that you see things in a certain way, your uniqueness, if they actually sense that you see things in a certain way, and they, they want to buy into your vision, and if they do, you're good to go. Yeah, literally and truly, you're good to go. And the more that you fully you express that vision, the, more, the easier it will be for people to see it and pick up on it. And as long as you don't dilute that by saying, well, here's my vision, but I can also do this. 
here's my vision, but I also know how to do that, right? That's, that kind of dilutes the whole thing, and that's our nature, like it's, you know, you want to cover your bases, you want to make sure you're okay, it's a little scary, right? And I think that a really useful thing to do, and I do it, I have my students do it, is like always put yourself not in the shoes of the photographer, because we're all morons, we're photographers. You have to put yourself in the shoes of like the client, the person who's going to hire you, right? Like if you want to hire somebody to whatever, photograph your wedding, right? And you go to a bunch of different websites, and there's one photographer who's really amazing, and what she's got is a gallery of wedding pictures, then there's also a gallery of really nice architectural work, then there's a really nice gallery of travel pictures, right? They're all really nice. It's clear this person does all kinds of cool things. And then you go to another person's thing, and their thing is like 100% kick-butt wedding pictures. Almost everybody's going to hire that person because that person's kind of planted a flag and say, I'm the wedding person. That I'm the wedding. You know what I mean? It's like if you need to have your kidneys dealt with, well, some guy does teeth, does some kidneys, a couple of feet, you know, that kind of thing. Or do you want, like, the kid? I want the kidney guy, man. I, like, I want the kidney guy. I don't want somebody, like, does feet and kidneys and eyeballs. Like, maybe that person's, like, a better expert on the body, but I'm really worried about my kidneys. I want the kidneys taken care of. So I feel it's like it's kind of like that. So you have to say, like, I'm going to be the kidney person. You know, there could be some good money in feet. Everybody's got sore feet. Once you get older, I got sore feet. Like, that's what happens. But if that's kind of what you have to declare, that you're going to decide you're going to do that and kind of plant your flag. So his thing on Lone Guard's thing, like shooting what you can't help but shoot, was a really big deal. And I think what happens is um, people get a little confused. The whole thing of like they want to style. Like all my students, they're, they're paying a lot of money to go to college for four years. They all want to leave with a style. Like what's my style? Right? And I, I've seen that there's a lot of uh, confusion about style. And some people think, oh, my style is, uh, I do platinum prints, that's my style. Or um, my style is, uh, I like doing like super saturated color and a little HDR, that's my style. Or my style is I use a strobe and kick the camera and do a long exposure. Or my style is I use old Polaroids and pee on them and leave them in the sun, that's my style. Like whatever it is, right? <laughs> those are my style. But the fact is, those aren't, that's not style, that, those are all techniques, right? And to me, there's sort of three main components that I think is useful just to think about, right? There's sort of, to my mind, there's vision, technique, and style, right? So to me, vision is like your visual DNA, like your fingerprints, right? Vision is something that's innate. It's your wiring, right? It's how you see the world. It's how you set up a frame. It's what you point your camera at. It's when you push the button. It's all that stuff that's kind of like the innate how you see things. That would be your, your vision, right? And that's probably most easily seen when uh, you look at the work of documentary photographers, right? Like, could be somebody like Salgado or James Noctway or Alex Webb, any number of people who are, uh, Lindsay Adario, any number of people who are documentary photographers. It's most, their vision is most easily seen because there sort of isn't really a technical overlay, right? You're just really seeing Cartier-Bresson. You're just seeing how they see. That would be their vision. Right? Technique is the peeing on the Polaroid and leaving it in the sun, or shooting with an 8x10 camera, or using a ring light, or all that stuff, right? That's what we put a lot of stock into. And we love that because it keeps the photo industry alive and people buying stuff because if this doesn't work, the next one's going to work. That's going to be my style, right? That's the thing. But that's actually technique 
is, and I'm a technical person, I love that stuff. But the fact is that technique is like a recipe. Right? A technique is like something that someone else could use the same technique and come up with a relatively similar result, literally like a recipe. Right? And we all do that. Right? You see something online, you see a picture that you like, you sort of try to reverse engineer it, or maybe the photographer even puts it out there, what they did. Right? And so you try it. And you want to see if you can do that same thing. So that's useful. It is useful. It's a good way to learn. I mean, you want to play guitar, you can see if you can do Clapton's licks or something like that. You know, it's like you, that's the way you learn how to do it. And then you kind of modify it, make it your own. But that's not a style, that's a technique. Right? And the fact is, in our profession, you can actually latch onto a technique and kind of never do anything else. And it kind of can become your technique. It can become your style, right? Because like that, it becomes identifiable as your thing. And you can get a good run out of that, and that's, that's a okay, right? But it's still not really a style technique. To me, style would be your vision as expressed through the technique that you use, right? Those two things together result in a style. Or what you could say is your voice, your photographic voice, would be how you see the world, and the tools you use to express it to achieve this thing that we're looking at, which would be your voice, your style or your voice. Does that make sense, right? And to me, that's kind of the thing we're aiming at is kind of, because we are working, like we're working with machines, photography's machines. You know, you have to understand the machines, whether it's camera machines or strobe machines or computer Photoshop machines. We have to understand that stuff because that's what we use to make our, our work. So it's kind of like how you, how you see the world, your vision, and how you work with it through these various techniques to then arrive at your style, right? And all those things together kind of are your, your uniqueness. That's the thing that you do that actually won't be like anyone else, right? And depending on what you do, like if you're a portrait photographer, well, then there's all kinds of other thoughts, like how you interact with people. Are you quiet? Are you lively? Do you just like to watch them? Do you get them to do things? You know, it's like all kinds of things, right? Now, Arnold Newman had a very strong visual DNA. His pictures you can spot from a mile away, and it's not because he used a certain lens or because he used a certain uh, lighting. It's literally how he saw the frame, like how he, where he put people in it, how he translated three-dimensional space into two dimensions. Like, nobody else really did that the same way. He was kind of, he was kind of the first guy to do that. And even to this day, many years later, nobody really does as well as he does. Pretty unique because it was his uniqueness. Like, he couldn't help it. Like, you know it's unique. If somebody pinched you in the middle of the night and you jumped out of bed and took a picture, that would be your unique. Like, he would do that. He would take an Arl Newman picture. If you pinched him in the middle of the night and he took a picture, it would look like that. He wouldn't say, oh, should I use the ring flash or should I do the octobank? It wouldn't be that. It would just be how he saw stuff, right? So, someone who'd be a good, a good example would be, uh, to my mind, would be somebody like Irving Penn, right? Like Irving Penn, triple threat, great, I mean, to me, one of my heroes, great photographer, and he's one of those people who was a, actually very successfully did portraiture and fashion and still life. Very few people do that really well. And what was interesting about it, it wasn't just like, oh, he's good at them, but actually his voice carried through all three. You would kind of know it was his work. They didn't exactly look alike, but you got the sense that there was the same brain and heart behind all those images. There's kind of like a spareness and an elegance and a simplicity and kind of a respect for the subject, like whether the subject was 
a fashion model or a street sweeper or a potato, literally. Do you know what I mean? Like this person had this kind of reverence in a way for the thing. And, and to me, that's really, really interesting to see that, right? And you can see the current contemporary photographer, be, um, who would be a good example? Be somebody like maybe Dan Winters would be a good example, right? Somebody who has a very peculiar way of seeing stuff. And for him, it could be a portrait, or it could be uh, a space shuttle launch, or it could be literally um, honeybees, or it could literally be some illustration on barbecue, right? And you kind of know, if you saw somebody say, like, well, that's his. They're not all lit the same. They don't all actually look the same. They're a little weird. They're a little disquieting. They're kind of funny. Like, you would know it was his work, right? So that's kind of like his uniqueness. He's actually not trying to be like Irving Penn or Arnold Newman or Avedon or me or Ansel Adams or anybody else. He's just, you know, 24-7 Dan. He's just Dan 24-7, 365. And that's like a great thing. And what he has that I really admire is a kind of confidence in his own uniqueness, right? That's the biggest, that is the hardest thing. Do you know what I mean? Like when I grow up, I want to have that kind of confidence. I'm still working on it. And I fooled these guys, right? I'm giving a talk. But I feel like that's, that's ultimately what you want to really aspire to, is to get to that point where you just have enough confidence in yourself to say, yep, this seems to be what I do. This seems to be how I see stuff. And the other thing is like a little, kind of little tips, I guess, I would offer for what they're worth. With my uh, students, a big thing in colleges now is everybody says, oh, you have to follow your passion, find your passion, follow your passion. I have two daughters who are graduated from college, and they're freaking out because they're like, oh my god, I have to have a passion. I don't know what my passion is yet. You know, they have friends who have passion. Like, I don't have a passion. When I was 19, 20, I only had one passion. It definitely wasn't photography. <laughs> and like, who, I was a dummy. Who even knew about that stuff, you know? But the truth is, like, when you're 19, you don't even know enough to have a passion. You haven't lived enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, you think you have a passion? It's like, have you been to a coal mine? Have you been a waiter? Have you taken a cross-country trip on a bus? have been overseas, like you, know, you don't, like, you can't even say you have a passion, like you don't know enough, you know? So a big thing to me in, in the search, in a way, I feel like in a way having your, this is again, just my thought about everything, I could be totally wrong. A little bit when you do your passion thing, you're actually narrow, you're like kind of narrowing, you're putting the blinders on a little, and in one way you can say, well, I'm finding my uniqueness, right? So. By doing this, I do rule out some things, but then again, that allows me to really focus on something. Right? So that's kind of cool. But I do think that in that kind of, kind of search for uniqueness, you actually rule out so many possibilities that could have been amazing. Right? So, and even if the thing itself wasn't amazing, the thing right after it could have been amazing. Right? So my feeling is like, especially early on, but even now, like just say yes to everything. Like, just if it seems even halfway okay, if you're not going to get screwed over and it's not going to be terrible, just say yes. Just say yes. You know, it's like, any, I personally feel any picture you take, you become a better photographer. Like, you take better pictures when you're taking pictures than when you're not taking pictures. You can't think your way into a career. You can only shoot your way in. I'm telling you that from experience for sure. Because definitely the pictures you make, there's a disparity between the pictures you think you're going to make and the picture you just made. That's a fact, right? And in a way, that to me, um, is we were talking about this actually the other day, it's, to me it was like a, I had this big epiphany. Maybe everybody's thought of it. 
I haven't thought of it, so I thought I was pretty cool for having thought of it. But to me, the big, big difference between digital and analog photography, analog photography being photography, now it's analog photography, like silver gelatin prints or silver gelatin prints. They used to be like prints, but now it's like a thing. So, um, but the, a big difference to me is, because I'm somebody that's like a foot in each place, is that with digital photography, you're always focused on the picture you've just made. Right? Like chimping, you, as soon as you push the button, you want to look and see what you got. So it's sort of backward looking. You're looking at the picture you just made digitally. With film photography, you can see that. So your focus was on the next picture that you haven't made yet. It was actually forward looking. It was still in your imagination. It was still a possibility. It wasn't like a done deal. So to me, kind of the notion of working in a film head and a film mindset where you're actually focused on the next one, to me, is really critical in terms of growth as a photographer. A really, really an important thing. Um, another thing I would say is that um, what happens a lot is photographers, it's, it, all this sounds critical. It's not meant to be critical. It's like, these are all like, you know, pitfalls. It's all stuff that I, I succumb to because I'm I'm like the dumbest guy for sure. And like one of the worst things you can do is look at other photographers work all the time, right? Because that, it will make you crazy, like for sure. And photographers are all horrible people generally. So what we do is we spend all our time complaining about all the other photographers work we see, right? It's like how many photographers take to screw in a light bulb? It takes 500. It takes one to screw it in and 499 to say they could have done it better, right? That's like, that's photographers. That's what we're all like. It's always the way it is. But I think what happens is when you're looking at other photographers' work, you're sort of one step removed from the inspiration because what you're seeing is already cooked. They already, they already had the experience, saw the thing, and made something. So you're looking at this thing they made, but you're removed from the inspiration of what it was. So it's like you think you're looking at tomatoes, and you're just looking at ketchup. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, like you don't get the tomatoes. You're just getting the ketchup. And I feel like you want, we all want the tomatoes. <laughs> That's what we want. You know what I mean? So if you're actually looking at other photographers' work, you're sort of like seeing what they, it's like flies that like eat something, barf it up, and then eat it again. We're like the flies, man. We like eat the barfed up stuff. <laughs> it's disgusting when you think of it. But I feel like that's sort of what it is. You know what I mean? So what you want to do is go, go to the source. And Arnold, and I'm sure other people used to say, there is the saying, interesting people make interesting pictures. And I think what you want to do more than look at other photographers' work is just look at other stuff. Like, look at painting, look at sculpture. Look into, like, don't look online at some other people's stuff that, like, they got a million likes. Like, look at the history of photography. The history of art's really long, right? History of photography is pretty short. You can kind of know it. it. Ain't been around all that long. And you can find lots of inspiration there because it's not of your time. Right? It's like a whole different way of seeing the world and using different materials and using different ways of doing stuff. So that can be really inspiring. I mean, I didn't even think about photo history till like I was in my 30s. I didn't even know about that stuff. They were just like the brown pictures from way back when. I didn't know, you know. But when I actually first started seeing 19th century, actual holding them in your hand, 19th century pictures, it's like, wow, that what really resonated for me. It was really meaningful. And, uh, but we actually, we were just talking about this last night at dinner, little daguerreotypes, right? Like the very first little photographs that were made. They're like this big, 
That's the size of a phone. This thing has gone full circle, right? And I'm looking at my students, and I come from the generation where like, well, I like looking at big prints. I look, look, like looking at prints, I like holding it, I like making it, I like having a tactile thing. But like, I, I always made my own prints in the darkroom because I like it, it's fun. And I like having this object at the end of it. And what's cool with digital printing is like it's digital, so it's like, ooh, it's evil. But the fact is, you can make this beautiful thing on like watercolor paper in color. It's like amazing, right? This beautiful object. It's such a cool thing. So you can do something like that now digitally, but it can be informed by pictures that were made 100 years ago. Like that, that's pretty exciting. You know, it's pretty exciting to see that stuff. And I think you can find your inspirations in other places than just looking at, not that you shouldn't look at Instagram, but it's sort of like broaden your perspectives on it, right? And you'll see that a lot of the stuff you see is like, no kids, somebody was doing that 100 years, look at that, there's somebody thought of that stuff already, that's pretty cool. You know, or if you look at um, cinematographers, Cinematography, I have this uh, movie, this great movie called Visions of Light. It was a documentary done on um, Hollywood cinematographers in the 80s. And there are interviews with all these terrific cinematographers, Gordon Willis and Vittorio Storaro and all these, all these terrific um, cinematographers. What was so interesting about this movie, they all knew each other's work and they all knew the history of cinema and they would all reference it. Do you know what I mean? Like, contemporary photographers don't do that at all. They really don't, they don't have a clue. Like, who was doing what in the 40s or in the 20s or in the 1890s. They don't have a clue about that at all. So I think that that's something that would really inform your work. And again, what happens in terms of your uniqueness is it's more stuff to put into the hopper that's actually not of your time. So it's sort of easier to process it and assimilate it and kind of have it kind of um, inform the work that you're doing, inform the pictures that you're making now. Because in a sense, when you look at pictures that are being made now, I don't know how to say this. Like you, um, at least for me, I get polluted. Like this is a big discussion we have at school. There are the assignments. People say, oh, the assignment is take a picture like so-and-so, like the emulation assignment. And to me, that is the last thing I would want to do. Right? I remember um, talking to one of Arnold's old assistants. This is a couple years after I worked with him. And the guy was now shooting. And he said, you know, I go into the CEO's office, and the first thing that crosses my mind is, how would the old man do this one? And I, I mean, I was like 23, and I was thinking like, holy moly, man, that is the last thing I would ever want to think of. Not because I wouldn't want to do, like, that'd be great to be able to take a picture as good as his, but that's his picture. The last thing I want is his stuff polluting my brain. Because once I'm actually thinking of someone else's picture, then all that space is now taken up where I could have been thinking of my picture, because I'm thinking of that picture. And I'm thinking of my idea compared to that thing I've already seen, and I find that, it, personally, I'm just a super insecure, horrible person, that it kind of invalidates my idea. Because I'm comparing my half-baked idea with this fully realized something else that somebody else did. Do you know what I mean? And so I find that like all through life, we're on this quest to not be ourselves, in a way. Do you know what I mean? And my fear is, I'll be on my deathbed and said, oh, I could have just been myself. It would have been so easy. Why didn't I think of that when I was young and handsome and fit? Like, now I'm just like, it's all over and it hit me. What a drag. So I don't want to wait that long. I don't want to wait that long. That'd be very sad to me. Another thing that I think would help uniqueness is one of the things I love about digital photography, I think it's great, 
is more than ever before, you have the opportunity to be actually fully the author of your own work in a way that never existed before, right? Now, what you can do is you actually can mix up your own color emulsion in Lightroom, Lightroom and Photoshop, and you can do it using Canon cameras and lenses, but you can actually <laughs> do that, just saying, just saying, just saying. Um, but really, like, what's great is you can actually literally mix up the emulsion, right? You can make it how you want. It used to be you couldn't do that. You could buy Kodachrome, or you could buy Fujichrome, or you could buy Agfa, or whatever you could buy. There's like kind of three or four choices, one a lot, especially in color, right? Most people didn't do their own color in the darkroom, generally. Color was done at labs, commercial lab. Well, now in color, gee, you can do everything, right? You can, like, mix up the emulsion. Then, theoretically, you shoot the picture, right? That's cool. I see people like, you know, uh, commercially you see people in pairs who actually do stuff together, like, you know, Joe and Betty or something, like, couple, you know, people do it together. And I was like, I, like, which one's the aimer and which one pushes the button? I don't know, you know? So I feel like it's cool to actually do all of it if you can, right? Because in the shooting part, you can choose your cameras and lenses, you can do the lighting. Lighting's a big thing for me. And people are like, oh, lighting's technical. It's like, no, it's, it's called photography, right? It's light pictures. And I remember seeing this book 20 years ago that was called, uh, I can't remember, The Nature of Photographs, I think, something like that. And I was thinking, boy, you call the book The Nature of Photographs, you want to be right. It's not like Greg's idea about some stuff that's cool about pictures. It's like, the nature. Like, eh, you kind of want to know. So the book was great, actually. I remember seeing the bookstore, and I sat down all afternoon. It was a day when I was working. You might not know this, but professional photographers are actually days that we're unemployed. I know it seems crazy, but there are. And I sat all afternoon and read this book. And it was actually great. It talked about moment value. It talked about the picture plane. It talked about composition, all this different stuff. The one thing there wasn't even a mention of was light. Light. There's nothing. It wasn't like it is photography. Because this person wasn't like a lighting person. It was just not lighting, but light. Like, we're in this room. This guy, like Stevie Wonder could take a picture in this room. Life's pretty good here. You know, it's like, it's great, right? Ain't too tough. Well, if this thing all of a sudden had the curtains drawn, it'd be a very different picture. So to me, light's kind of a big deal, right? James Estrin, who's a terrific New York Times photographer, he does a thing called the Lens Blog. I think he said something like, you know, where there's light, there's usually a picture. If you can find the light, you'll find the picture. You know, I think that's an important thing. So even as a documentary photographer, a serious as a heart attack documentary photographer, you don't ever use lights. Right? You need to understand light because you can't move the subject. You can't change where the light is coming from. So the only thing you can do is move your butt around and you kind of figure out how it's all going to add up. Right? So if you have a good feel for light, you understand that like, oh, if I'm standing here, it's front light. If I go over here, it's side light. And if I walk over there, it's backlight. So I can like, oh, I can, I can kind of do that. So as a documentary photographer, you kind of want to really understand the light. So, you can do that when you're shooting, and then you can get into Lightroom, Photoshop, even just Lightroom, right? You can get into Lightroom, and then there's like all of a sudden a thousand cool things you can do, right? A thousand cool things, particularly shooting raw. Like all this stuff is like normal, but students are not like, oh, raw, that's not, that. no, raw is like God's gift. It's an amazing thing, right? Because you can take that steak and you can cook it over and over. Right, it's raw, man. Like you take, you cook it once, you put the bearnaise, you cook it again, you do it medium well, you cook it again, you do it au poivre. You like, you cook it 50 ways, that same piece of meat. You just keep cooking it and cooking it. And the truth is, 
I mean, I would do this with my own negatives. It's like, I make what I think is the best print that I've ever made in my whole life. And I look at it two years later, it's like, what the heck was I, this thing's terrible. Like, you know, all of a sudden you reinterpret your work in another way. Well, with a raw file, that's always available to you, right? A JPEG file, you can't do that, right? JPEG files the microwave, right? You cook the steak the first time, it was pretty good, you don't finish it. You put it back in the fridge. You take it out two days later, you stick it in the microwave. You could eat it, it's not doing so good. By the fourth or fifth time you cook that steak, you won't even give it to your dog, right? That's like a JPEG. That's what happens to JPEG. So, that, no, I mean, that's like the thing. So, you can do all that stuff. And again, you can give that to somebody else to do for sure, right? Like, there, is, there are many kinds of photographers, particularly commercially. There's like the, it takes a village photographers, right? Where basically, you know, Francoise is my archivist, and Bruno is my digital tech, and Danielle is my printer, and, you know, and there's like a whole group of people who, who all contribute to the final thing, and that's totally a valid way to go. And it's cool because each of those people brings a lot to the problem. I mean, making movies would be like that, right? There's like the cinematographer, and there's the sound person, and there's a grip, and the gaffer, and all these different people who all combine their talents to make this great thing. So that is a way to go that's like a great way to go for sure people who are better at it than you are, who just bring stuff to the party. I do stuff like that for certain kinds of things. I'm honestly having the most fun when I'm by myself. That sounds bad, but I do. I'm very good at self-stimulating. I actually like doing it on my own. And what's interesting, what I like about that is somebody else might be better at it than I am. They will never make my decisions, for better or worse. Right? Like how many times, back in the dark room, right? You're in the dark room, you put the paper under the enlarger, you expose it, it comes up, you realize you forgot to stop down the enlarger, and it comes up really dark. But sometimes you go like, that's pretty cool, that's kind of pretty cool. I hadn't thought about making it dark, that's pretty cool, right? So it's kind of like Lightroom or Photoshop is like that, where you're sitting there, it's four in the morning, you're in this fever dream of craziness because you're working way too long and way too late, right? doing this thing that should have taken 10 minutes, but it's like you're in the eighth hour. Like in those old movies where like the clock hands are spinning and the pages are blowing off the calendar in the wind. It's like that's what it's like for me. And you're doing that stuff and you see like all of a sudden you have an idea that you would never have thought of when you were wide awake the day before when you're talking on the phone to people. All of a sudden you're like alone and, and you have some idea for something. You would never write it in the instructions to your retoucher or your person who's your printer. It's a decision you make. For, and some of them are good and some of them are horrible. Or some of them seem good and they turn out to be horrible. But I love that. To me, that's one of the most fun things around, is that I get to make those decisions. Right? I get to hang a left if I want to hang a left. So to me, that's really fun. Is it time efficient? No. Like, I could make more as a bagger at you know, Walmart or something like that than I do if you consider the hours that I spend doing it. But I just like doing it. Right? And I like, it's like a dog. I like to pee on it. And make, I keep talking about pee, but I do. I like to like pee on it and make it my own, because then it's mine. I really like that. And to me, also, when you're on the computer, there's a lot of, in terms of your uniqueness, a real big kind of pitfall with photographers. They'll be, re and this happens with really good photographers. Shoot for the geographic, lots of good photographers. They go, like, oh, I don't edit my own stuff. Like, oh, you know, that's the thing. I shoot in my own. I can never pick the best one. It's like, man, you shot the darn thing. You know the but Come on. You know the best one. You, do, you don't need no MFA to figure that out. You put it up there. It's like the smell test. Like, if it stinks, that's not a good one. Like, you can tell in a second. Generally, you can go longer and like stroke your chin, look at for sure, for sure, obviously you can. But usually pretty quick you can tell, you know. You just don't have the confidence, right? That confidence thing's a big piece of that, right? 
Like you say, I think that's the one, but what if it's not? Might not be, but you know if it was. Like, you know, I don't believe you don't see a difference. You shot the, saw the difference when you pushed the button, right? So I feel like it takes like a 60th of a second, or nowadays, a 13,000th of a second, but it takes like a 60th of a second to push the button take a picture. You sit there in Lightroom for hours and hours and hours, like it used to be sitting looking at contact sheets with a loop, you start to understand your pictures better. That's for sure. You spend a 60th of a second shooting it, but you spend hours looking at those pictures, you see where you're strong, you see where you're weak, you see the horrible thing like all the pictures you missed, like any photographer who's even remotely has a grain of honesty, the pictures they remember most are the ones they missed, right? The ones they screwed up, we all do, right? But you look at your own work for a really long time, you learn a lot about how you shoot. You hand that off, you miss out on that opportunity, right? And I think a lot of times where photographers get caught up is they can't separate their experience of making the picture from the picture, right? And it can be a great experience for you, which is great. I mean, that's fine. But if you're actually just looking at the picture, I honestly don't care. Like, I, it could have been a life-changing experience for you, and that is a wonderful thing, but it's not in the picture, right? And there are great photographers who are horrible human beings, and there are people who are wonderful humanitarians who take terrible pictures. I mean, that's just the way it is. But you have to be able to separate your experience of whatever it was from actually the image that's in front of you. You have to be able to see that objectively. And I think, again, when you spend the time looking at your pictures like that, you learn a lot about your work, and again, it develops your uniqueness. So I think a really cool thing, and not for everybody, I love the idea of like owning it. I think with digital photography, you actually have more than ever before the possibility of becoming more fully the author of your own work. From like mixing the emulsion in the beginning, to taking the picture and lighting it, to working it through Lightroom, to tweaking it in Photoshop if that's what you do, to actually doing different iterations of the print. Like you can actually have this thing at the end that is your thing from start to finish. That's amazing. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a zillionaire. You don't even need a dark room, man. You get like a $500 printer. Like you could do it all here. I could have my Canon camera and my Canon printer and Photoshop and Lightroom on my Apple computer. But I can have all, like I could literally have my whole life sitting on this table, right? That's like an unbelievable thing that you can do that. So you can have all that stuff sitting right here and you could actually create something that no one else could create. Right? And so what you want to do is spend as much time as possible doing that, not thinking about it, but doing it. And the other thing you definitely want to do is just trust what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Just like, the worst that happens is going to be a crappy picture. Like, that's the other thing. Okay, I have like two minutes left. I'm going to lay this on you, right? This is a big thing for my students, seriously, is they compare every picture they take every day with photography's greatest hits. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't see Ansel Adams' crappy pictures. You don't see Salgado's like weeks of not a good image. You see like the, the greatest hits. You think, oh man, my pictures don't look like that. I went out for a day to photograph a penguin and I didn't get the biblical Salgado picture of the penguin. It's like you don't see the contact sheets. He obviously is a great photographer. That doesn't undermine it. But like all you, all you see are the greatest hits and then you see your stuff. It's so sad. It doesn't measure up. Do you know what I mean, really? So, you have to appreciate when you're doing your work that all of that is like steps in the process. And that's how you get to the point of getting the pictures that you really want to get. And I think that what you need to do, the last thing I will say as a photographer is uh, the creative process is an uncertain one, right? 
And the most important thing to do as a photographer, and I know so many people who, like, should I be a photographer or be an attorney? And the, and the thing with the photography is it's sort of like very unknown. You don't know, what, you don't know the steps, right? And so what you have to do as a photographer is you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? You have to be cool with that. That's almost the hardest thing. You have to be uncomfortable about, am I going to make a living? That's valid, right? You have to be comfortable with, am I going to even get a picture today? You got to be cool with that. But what you and you have to be comfortable with your own process, right? Like, I'm giving this talk today. I was up all night last night. I could, I'm a world champion sleeper. I couldn't sleep at all because I was all agitated about doing this today. Like, I've been doing it for a really long time, and instead of thinking, oh my god, I'm going to ruin it, it's horrible, they're all going to boo me. Like, at some point in the middle of the night, it didn't help any, but I say, oh, this is you just doing that night before thing. Right, like, oh, there you go again, the no sleep thing, got it, watching some bad TV, I got it. And you start to understand yourself and just say, oh, that's okay, that's just me being a dope again. That's my creative process. But it is. And what you start trusting is that it leads you to an okay place. Don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, some people, they do that and they eat too much, or they do this, they do that. It, like, it gets them to a good place. So the most important thing in terms of embracing your uniqueness is just, like, trust yourself. Honest to God. Like, just trust yourself and just kind of go with it. Don't second guess yourself. Don't try to be like anybody else. Don't read reviews online of a light and say, like, oh, you know, so-and-so uses it. I should use it. Like, you don't know what they like. I go buy a little thing. I go buy equipment. I don't buy it because so-and-so uses it. People say, oh, and the sister say, oh, so-and-so. I was working with her, and she used blah, blah, blah. It's like, the hell do I? I don't care about that. Like, I would go to the camera store that I go to, and I say, I'm going to buy a light from you today for sure. I'm going to buy a softbox. I'm going to walk out of here with a softbox. You're going to have some of my money. I want to try these five for like an hour. Then I want to see. Then I know what I like. Do you know what I mean? It's like. I could be wrong, it could be great. What looks good, people would say that about like lenses. They saw oh, this lens is really creamy. Is it like 10% creamier? 20% creamier? What's creamy? I don't even know what creamy is. Right? Seriously, it's not, oh, I love the bokeh of that. It's like, well, you like bokeh, shoot eight by 10, that'll give you bokeh. You know, it's like there's so many, I don't even know. You know what I mean? So it really depends on what you want. And what you need to do is discover your own preferences by doing it, trust your preferences. Let each picture you take, and that's the last thing I'll say, because now we're probably a minute over, is everybody's process is different. Again, digitally, some people are people who actually like to shoot, in a sense, elements, knowing what they're going to do once they get on system on the computer, and they're going to work, and they love working in post. That is their thing, right? That's great. There are other folks, and what they like to do is they like to have it happen when they're shooting in camera, not because it's tougher or like real men shoot in camera because they know what they're doing. It's just different, right? So I've done both for different kinds of things. My personal preference, not because it's better, is I like doing it when I'm doing it just because for me in the process, every decision I make when I'm shooting informs every next decision that I make, right? Whereas if I'm taking pieces, that process happens later, right? I'm capturing these things, and then later, all those things will happen later. But I actually like happening when I'm out there. It's my preference. Maybe I'm old school, I like it. So there's no better or worse. It's just you gotta figure out like, what your preferences are, how you like to shoot, and just trust it. That is the thing that will work for you, I promise. It's like, it will. I guarantee it. So um, trust yourself, you're already unique. It's gonna be awesome. We're all going to be rich, and photography is a great thing.
Thanks. <laughs> I don't know. That's it. I feel like making a paper airplane and sailing it. I think we have time for some questions. Are you cool if we take some we questions? We didn't actually talk about that. Well, uh, well, no, OK, that's fine. No, it's in the contract, I'm yep. sure. Okay. So we have yes. yeah, let's go yes, ahead. So I've been uh, looking at all your images up here. Those aren't mine, actually. But that's oh, well, yeah, I'm yeah. curious. No, could you tell us some stories about them? Oh, my god. How much time do you have? Oh, my god. There's actually this awesome book you should get. No, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> it's a bargain at half the price. So. Wait, you got to pick one. Pick one. You pick one, and I'll tell you a story. Is that Mick up there? Mick and Tina? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually not my pick. The truth is, I can tell these stories. There's no fact checkers here. I can just make it up. <laughs> right? Like, if it's a good story, you don't care, right? If it's a good story. So, okay. So, we have this picture here of uh, Mick Jagger and Tina Turner. I'm going to do this. Look at that. So, here we go. Door number one. Mick Jagger and Tina Turner. So, in this picture, this was done, I think, in 86. It was for, uh, remember Live Aid, the concert Live Aid in Philly? So it was for that. And uh, I'll make this quick. There's like so many stories about all these things. And, uh, and they are true, actually. So uh, like this is a perfect example. Like I like this picture a lot. There is nothing original about this picture. Nothing. Like I was hoping I could be Irving Penn. I'm not Irving Penn. I got a backdrop. He got a backdrop. That didn't seem to do it. Right? Like, I'm not Annie. I shoot celebrities. She shoots celebrities. Doesn't look like her either. Right? So, but I was really happy to take this until I saw it like a year later. And it's like, there's nothing special about that picture at all. Except it's cool. I'm happy about it. So, uh, Live Aid. Um, I think I approached Life Magazine, who I, I was working with them a fair bit, about doing something at Live Aid. And they were like, no, we already did. Remember Michael Jackson did the We Are the World, the uh, song? And it's like, oh, we already did, you know, poverty and starvation, so we're good with that. We're, we, we don't need that. We got that covered. So uh, we approached Kodak, and they were willing to give us film, and we could go take some pictures and see what happens, right? So we, uh, we did that. 8x10 camera, drove to Philly in a big cube truck, uh, talked our way in the gate because we had a big cube truck, so you know, it wasn't like we're in a minivan. It lo we looked like we were you know, some kind of official person. Did that. And we got there, it's like, okay, now what? Where do we go? So in order to take their pictures, you have to be somewhere near where they're going to be, because they're not going to go even a step out of their way. So we kind of talk our way up, and we're near the stage, really backstage. And there's nowhere to set up, because you can't be in the middle of stuff. And it's not, I'm not shooting them, well, I couldn't shoot them with a phone in 86, but it's an 8x10 camera. It's going to be kind of a big setup. So I'm looking around, and there's a men's room just off stage, and a women's bathroom, and then there was a bathroom of unspecified gender. There was like an extra third one. So I was like, all right, we'll, we'll take that one. So we go in there, and I'm feeling really excited because I commandeered this bathroom. And it's, it's pretty good size. You can make a studio out of it, right? So we get everything set up, and we set up the camera, and we get everything ready, hang up the backdrop, we're clamping it onto the ceiling, and then we go to plug in the lights, strobes, but there's no outlets in the bathroom because at Veterans Memorial Stadium, they didn't have blow dryers when they built that thing. Right? They're like nobody used electrical appliances in a bathroom back in the day. There was like literally nowhere to plug in. So we're digging around, digging around, digging around. And, uh, and of course, on stage, there's like 10 billion watts of power going to everything, but they're not plugging it into a bathroom. They have like a you know, generator truck or something. So we're looking, and in one of my cases, we brought like a million cases, is this little 
$3.72 hardware store thing that you plug into like a, like a little lamp socket and it has a little plug so you can plug in. So we do that and there's like one light bulb hanging from the ceiling <laughs> and we take out the light bulb and screw in the thing and we plug in our light and that's how we were able to plug in. So that's the beginning. That's just that setting up. Then the key is how do you get people to come to do this thing? So my pitch was we're just going to do one frame because that's always the thing that celebrities don't like. It's like the photographer, oh, let's do another roll, more, 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 just one more. Life had a piece at the end of the magazine called Just One More. So my thought was, it was always my thing. I hated, like, please let me take another picture, please. I hated that. It's like, you want to get out of here, get out of here. It's like, I don't, I don't want to do it. So I thought my thing will be, we'll just take one frame. I just wanted to be done first. For the first time in my life, I wanted to be done first. I just thought it'd be cool. And so that was the pitch, is we'll just do one frame. You come in one frame and we're done, right? And it was honestly awesome, because they were cool with that. Like, everybody's got time for one frame. So they come in, the 8x10 camera's cool. I have the big bellows, anachronistic camera. It doesn't mean I'm a better photographer than anybody else, but they think so. That's kind of cool. And people with a big camera like that, they basically shut up and sit straight. That's what's not. I mean, it is. It's like, oh, okay. Get my picture taken. So it's a real picture. So they do that. And you take the picture, and then I was like, you know, as soon as I take the picture, I'm just like, turn around, smoke a cigarette or whatever. And they're waiting for the next picture. It's like, no, I'm cool. That's good, thanks. <laughs> they sort of like... <laughs> like walk out, you know, kind of like that, really. And so a couple people we shot more of. And Micantina, 8x10 film, for those who aren't aware of it, goes in a film holder. Film holder has two sides, and you do two sheets. It's easy to do two sheets. So they were there, and they were ready to do another one. So I shot one that was kind of serious. And then I, they're still there, so I flipped it around and did a second one, because it's like Mick Jagger and Tina Turner, so I'll, I'll do another sheet. And so I flip it around, and they... It's not like you say, do this. Like half the stuff, again, doing portraits, is almost like they call it mirroring, where like you do something in the personal. Do you're not even thinking about it, but you're like, you do that, and they do that, right? So for that moment, I'm like, Mick Jagger. It's really cool. <laughs> so, um, so I guess I did that, and he did it. They did it, and that was the second picture, right? So that was great. It was fun to do. The cool thing was when the pictures, they were all done, I showed them to life. Obviously, this ended up being like a big event, so they were happy to have something available that nobody else had. And what's cool is, so all I had was two frames of these guys, that's it. And one frame ran as the cover, and the other frame ran as the opener in the magazine, right? And what was interesting about that is, as a commercial photographer, if you were shooting something like this, like for a movie poster or a concert or something, you'd shoot 10 thousand frames. You'd shoot them together, then you shoot them separate. Then you shoot them back to back, then you shoot them front to front. Then he's got the purple pants, then he has the green pants, and she has the leather dress, but then she also has the red dress. But then in some, she's on the left and he's on the right, and some he's on the right and she's on the left. Then some she's sitting and he's standing, and some he's standing and she's sitting. Then they have the serious one, but then the happy one, and, and then they don't use any. Here we shot two frames, and one was the cover, and what was the inside. So that was what was really fun about that. That's a lot of story. And the other thing I like about it is that you do see the toilets, you see the stalls, and that um, Patty LaBelle's just hanging out back there waiting her turn. So I like that. That's the other thing's kind of cute. So that's the story on that. How's that? Yes. Sir. Thank you so much, Gregory. Got a question from online. How do you stay unique while trying to capture a vision for a client? That's a great question. How do you, no, it is. That is a good question. How do you stay unique uh, while you're capturing a vision for a client? So um, I keep referring back to Arnold, Arnold Newman. So he's, he, to me, he was like the beacon for me, for sure. He's like the oracle. 
And he had great answers to questions. Right? I remember one person asked him, like, you know, you know, who chooses? When you do a shoot, who chooses? Do, do, do you choose or does the client choose? And his answer was, they can't pick a picture they never see. It's like, <laughs> like, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. Now, seriously, you know, it's like, wow, that's pretty good. So the thing with that is, and I think that's really valid. So, uh, and it varies with the photographer, like maintaining your vision. So that, here we're talking about uniqueness. And I would say that on the, on the scale of uniqueness while shooting a job, I'm a seven, six to seven, right? I'd say Arnold was like a 11 <laughs> or something, right? And I think somebody like, uh, I don't know, I was mentioning Dan Winters, Dan's yeah, pretty up there. We'd be like eight or nine, right? And that's like a self-fulfilling thing in a good way, which is the more identifiable your voice is, the more people, it's what John Lowengard said when I was starting out, the more identifiable your voice is, the more people will hire you for that voice. And so what they want you to do is to give them that voice. So what they're encouraging you to do is to express yourself that way. And that's the picture that gets shot and that's the picture that gets seen and other people see it and they want that too, right? So that's, that's honestly the truth. I'm not so good at that and sometimes just being honest because I'm a pleaser. I want everybody to be happy. I want to tell jokes and be funny and be nice, all that stuff. I'm like, you know, can't we just all get along kind of thing? And I think to some extent that's good because people like me and it's nice. But on the other hand, that means I've taken a lot of pictures that maybe aren't my true vision. And I think that, it, it's just, I'm old fashioned, I think a little bit as a business person, your job is to like, like do the good thing, right? And if it's my thing, that's even better. And to some extent, I feel like it's all my thing anyway. Like I shot the darn thing. Like you get me for free. Every time I push the button, you get me for free. I don't need like neon thumbs pointing at me. It's like, well, I shot it, you know? But the fact is sometimes you'll do this picture and our art director will see it. And what they hire you to do is to shoot a picture of somebody standing, oh, I'd seamless, holding a thing of cough syrup, right? I'm in love with them for that. That is a beautiful thing. That helped my girls go through college. I think that, no, I'm serious, that's like great. And the reason they're hiring you isn't because they want the picture to look like this. They just want to hang with the guy that shot Mick and Tina. Seriously, you know what I mean? And to me, that's, I'm good with that. So it's a range. I think sometimes what you're doing is actually just sort of, I don't know, providing a service in a way, which I think is a totally honorable thing to do in life. And the other time you're doing it is you actually are doing something that more expresses your vision. And I think a lot of that has to do with your tolerance for being able to do that. Do you know what I mean? For some people, it's like, I can't. They asked me to shoot it in you know, brown, and I told them it should be yellow, and I, I'm, I'm storing off. I can't do it. If that's your tolerance for it, I respect that for sure. It's fine. And I've had that from time to time. I get kind of cranky. But the truth is, I think, if you can sort of know, even Avedon had said, like Avedon's a great photographer, and he said that one of the things he loves about fashion is like, it's a good day. Like there's nice looking people, usually some good catering. Heart goes out to, his heart goes out to the art directors and the clients, the account people, they have this job to do. And he said, by, basically by the end of the day, he's made some nice money, they've had a good time. And what he was, he didn't apply for grants, he was his own foundation for like when he did the American West. All that advertising stuff he didn't pay for, he didn't have to answer to anybody. So, you know, that's another way of looking at it. He didn't think, oh, I'm selling out his things. Like, yeah, well, let me do that other thing. So I think you have to, 
kind of decide on your tolerance for all these different things and, you know, decide what you want to do. That was like a really long, unspecific answer, but that, I think that is what it is. Yep. Anybody else? Um, so you said that um, with the wedding photographer thing, you said if the person is more likely to pick somebody who only puts out the wedding versus somebody who puts out a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So to, with that question, um, how would you go about presenting both of those things when the one with the white background isn't really what you want to put out there? That's an excellent question, too. So, um, so I'm just going to preface this by saying I'm like not the world's greatest business person. We'll just say that right off the bat. So anything I say could put you in the poorhouse in like an hour. So I'm just, just right off the bat. Right? Like if I was a great businessman, I'd be doing creative live. That's what I'd be doing. Right? I'm like, I'm a photographer instead. So that's the deal. Right? But um, one thing I will say for sure is that if what you show is people on white seamless, they won't hire you. Generally what happens is you have to, sh in my experience, you have to show them at least one level higher than that to get hired for that thing, right? Like there are photographers who shoot fashion in vogue and what they get hired to do sometimes is other kinds of stuff that's honestly about seamless that they just knock out in the day that's for online, that's for catalogs, for this, for that, right? If all you show though is medium level models on seamless paper just for a second doing a picture, they probably won't hire you for that because they'd rather think that they're working with a better person and doing the cool thing, right? The other counterpoint to what I was saying before, and again, I haven't followed this, not, but I think it is true, is people love to see your personal work. So that started, it seems like only yesterday, but it was probably like 20 years ago, is I'd be on shoots and some art director would say, like, oh yeah, so Greg, what's your personal work like? And I was like, like I sort of thought we were doing it. I don't know, like I, I'm kind of taking this year, I'm kind of having fun. I, thought, I kind of thought this was it. Maybe I'm shallow, I don't know, I, th I thought this was cool. I'm kind of putting actually everything into this. I'm not like knocking this out for you and then I'll do the cool thing. Like, I thought that was okay, right? And they're like, yeah, but like your personal work. So you mean like, I, like rocks or nudes or something? I don't know, like what, what is that? And it was like, well, yeah, don't you have personal work you want to do? So that's again, the, my immaturity, I think as an artist is, I didn't actually think I was entitled to do that. Just being honest. That felt like so, like so dumb, I feel like embarrassed. Here I am in front of the whole world. But I felt like I wasn't entitled to be that indulgent in a way that like, I think it'd be fun to take a picture of tripods. I'm gonna do the tripod series. And like, it may be nothing, but I'm just gonna do it. And I think that people do like seeing it and I think it is really good to do. And I think people for sure, agents all over the world, magazine editors, everybody, they will say, that what people want to see more than anything else is your personal work. Because that gives them a window into who you are and what makes you tick creatively. I always thought it was weird because I think this is what makes me tick creatively. What I like doing is figuring stuff out. I like going like, how am I gonna get into Live Aid? Oh my God, there's nowhere to shoot. Oh wow, there's a bathroom. Oh my God, there's no electricity. Oh, we have the adapter. Oh, they're never gonna show up. Oh, we promised them one picture. I mean, literally, it's like all these little mini victories, like, oh, now we're screwed, oh, now we're happy, oh, now we're screwed, oh, now we're happy. It's kind of like what it is. I actually like that. That's, that's, I thrive on that, right? But I think people actually do really appreciate seeing that. 
So I think, for example, and again, I'm no expert at this for sure, is like on a website, you could actually have the work that's the professional work that you do, and then you could also have the work that's the work that you're really passionate about, that's that work. You could certainly have portfolios that you show. People still look at print portfolios a lot. They might find you online or find you through Instagram, but many, many, many times they then want to see a print portfolio. So with that, you could have the portfolio that shows them the thing, and then you have another portfolio that just kind of clues them in. Right? People usually really like that. So I think that is a cool thing. What I think is tricky, though, is, and this is really tough. Like, I'm weighing this stuff even now because I don't want to give my students bad advice. I really don't. So I look at stuff like photographers' galleries on a website, and it's like, oh my god, there's like a million pictures. It scrolls and scrolls. Like, I scroll till the thing falls on the floor and off the computer. It's like, oh my god, there's like so many pictures, right? And I think, in a sense, it's the Instagram. People are used to like scrolling, 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 scrolling. My feeling is like, pick five, dude. Like, pick five. Like, show them the good ones. Like, you know, the first splash page has 20 pictures. It's like, that's like 19 too many. You know what I mean? Like, I, if I had a, a page, it would have this really big. It wouldn't have this and 27 others of other stuff. Like, I want to say, like, because I think a piece of it is, is what I think. It's not like, well, here's a bunch of stuff. It's like, here's a bunch of stuff. This is, the, this is it. Right? So I think for me, that's kind of my, how I would do it. But the truth is that those kinds of websites and presentations are very successful. Do you know what I mean? I, like, I get it. I would tend to be more selective myself because I appreciate that. And I also think people, like, I don't want to waste their time in a way. Do you know what I mean? And they might not ever get to the cool one. But I think a lot of people do now because that is how people look at pictures. You know, and it's a really weird thing. You know, more than, I mean, for my students, more than anything else, most people look at pictures this big for a split second. They don't actually look at that, right? They don't. They don't look at that. They don't look at big prints. Many people don't even look at them very big on their computer screen. They actually look at them on a mobile device. And I think we were talking about this the other day. Like, you can like it or not like it, but it is like having an opinion about gravity. It kind of is, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can like, well, it's bad, it's good. It's like, it's kind of what's happening. So the f thing is you have to do is like figure out how do I, how do I want to interact with that? How do I want to use it to my benefit? How's it going to work for me? Do you know what I mean? And you can spend your life resenting it and being grumpy. And I've spent a fair bit of time doing that. It has not been the most fruitful. And I have photographer friends who are like that, and it's bad. But ultimately, if you can figure out a, a way to make it work, it's good. I'll offer one other thing with this. We were just talking about this, I think, at lunchtime. So when I was in photo school for my third freshman year in college, was at um, <laughs> RIT, and they had, we didn't have a lot of speakers. We had one guy come at the end of the year, who's like the, the big shot. And he was from New York, and he wasn't like a named person because he didn't do magazine pictures. You never saw his credit. But he had more money than anybody, this guy. And he literally shot the booze ads, the car ads, the cigarette ads, the billboards, everything you saw was his stuff. You wouldn't know who he was, but like he shot all that stuff. So he came up and showed his stuff, and we were like, oh, and this is like, he, he wasn't like our teachers. This guy's like doing it, you know? It was really, we were super excited. So he showed his stuff. It was really super fun. And at the end, they had the Q&A. And I was the dope who asked the first question, right? That is the first question everybody asks on a college campus, which is, what advice would you give to somebody starting out in the business today? It was like 1975. He was quiet for a minute. And I remember this like it was yesterday. He said, kid, I hate to tell you this, but if I were you, I'd become a model maker or a makeup artist. He said, the business, it's dead. It's over. 
And all the teachers were looking at each other like, I mean, they were just definitely, and we were all looking at each other. But the truth is, like, for him, it was dead. The business as he knew it was no longer existed, right? It wasn't dead for me. It's not dead for me now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could never have had his career. I'm having my career, and I'm not shedding any tears. That's not a life I ever had. Do you know what I mean? Like, when I worked for Life Magazine, I didn't go to Africa to photograph leopards for six months. It was like an hour at John Travolta's house, and I was, like, happy. Yeah, I mean, really, I was like, wow, that's great. I wasn't like, oh, how come they don't go me the six-month assignment? Like, that wasn't my thing. So I think people shooting now, they're not all sad about it. They think it's awesome. You know what I mean? And I think people should think it's awesome. I think the business is, it is competitive. It's no question. There are economic challenges. There's no question. But like, it used to be you had to live in New York or L.A. or Chicago, and you had to live within three blocks of a color lab to process your film. You can live anywhere you want now, pretty much. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's this amazing, cool thing you're going to love. It's called the internet. And they're like, people find you. There's all kinds, like, there's so many ways to do it. That's amazing. So I think, like, it's a really cool way, time to become, I think, to become a photographer for sure. A really cool way to become a photographer, a really cool time. And also, what's interesting is students now, young photographers, they're now looking at stuff like film as an alternative process. But they're basically, it's almost like the digital backlash where they're like, you know, they're now looking at things that they want a tactile experience, they want to make prints, all that kind of thing. So I, I personally think there's no better time than now to actually get into it as a profession, as a hobby, as anything, and um, enrich your life and, and see it as you've never seen it before. So, <laughs> thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow. And I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.